In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. For about seven and a half years, we lived in the small town of Darlington, South Carolina. And the owners of the house that we purchased left behind all sorts of garden whimsy that included a whole collection of birdhouses that had been affixed to several trees in the yard. For the first few years that we lived there, all of those birdhouses remained dormant. But after about four years, one spring, we noticed to our utter delight a little bluebird flying into one of the birdhouses. Now, even if you're not much of a bird watcher, there is just something about a bluebird that will put a smile on your face. Its beautiful blue wings, its red breast always brings to mind for me the, um, those classic depictions of bluebirds in various Disney movies. Who couldn't love a bluebird? Sure enough, after a week or two, we took a peek in the birdhouse and saw that there were little eggs in the nest. Well, summer was underway, so we departed Darlington to spend a week with my father up in the mountains. And several times during that week, we'd all wonder aloud, do you suppose that the little baby bluebirds will have hatched by the time we get home? And when we, were, when we returned from that vacation, as soon as we pulled into the driveway, we made our way to the backyard to see if the baby bluebirds had arrived. We didn't want to scare the mother, so we waited nearby and we watched for her little blue head to poke out of the house. We waited and we waited. And when our patients ran out and she didn't appear, I went to get a ladder and I climbed up to take a peek inside the birdhouse. And there, coiled in the bottom, was a snake. Now, I'm not proud of myself, but in that moment, something inside me snapped. And I took that birdhouse off the tree with the snake still inside and I threw it down onto the sidewalk. And the only thing that kept me from smashing that birdhouse to bits, the only thing that kept the whole scene from degenerating into a, a scene from a B-grade slasher movie right in front of my children who were already traumatized by this point, was the cooler head of my beautiful bride who put her hand on my arm and said, Honey, no, the children. <laughs> Whenever I think about that event, it takes me to Genesis chapter 3, where we read about God's curse on the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. In that moment, there was certainly great enmity between this son of Eve and that offspring of the serpent. But of course, Genesis chapter 3 is about so much more than the conflict between humanity and that legless lizard. One of the great blessings of being a Christian in our modern age is that there are so many beautiful resources to help parents teach their children about the things of God and to teach them about the Bible. Whenever an infant is baptized here at St. Philip's, we give them a copy of a beautiful children's Bible. And it's, it's a great gift because we want to help parents raise their children in the faith and to take on that responsibility. But I point this out because for many of us, the name Ad, names Adam and Eve can conjure up for us colorful illustrations from a children's Bible. And because of this, we can begin to think that Genesis chapter 3 is just that, a story for children. 
Or perhaps more to the point, we can dismiss the account of Adam and Eve as some primitive and outdated tale conjured up by a superstitious people to try and explain something that they just don't understand. When in fact, it is an incredibly sophisticated account of what has happened between humanity and God. It is the record of a fateful decision that explains why the world is the way that it is. And it has been given to us so that we might understand the truth about God, about ourselves, and about the world around us. So that we might understand why there are broken relationships in our families. So that we can understand why there's violence in our own community. So that we can understand why there are rockets that bring down buildings in the Middle East. So friends, let's step in to Genesis chapter 3. And learn what it has to teach us about the fall and about God's loving provision in the moment of our disobedience. Now chapter 3 drops us into the middle of the story. The seven days of creation have already taken place. God has placed Adam in the garden and has told him that he is to tend it and to keep it. And God has given this command regarding the trees in the garden. God said, you may eat of every tree in the garden every tree but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die and then god made eve and we're told at the conclusion of chapter three chapter two rather that they were naked but they were not ashamed and that brings us to today's reading from chapter three where the crafty serpent slithers onto the scene and he begins a conversation with Eve. Like a pit viper, the serpent latches onto his prey and he begins to inject a spiritual venom that is designed to go straight not to the physical heart, but to the spiritual heart, the heart of trust between humanity and God. The serpent says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, that's not what God said at all. God said you may eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. But you see, what the serpent is doing is he is injecting a venom of doubt. In effect, he's calling God a, a miser. He's causing Adam and Eve to rethink, is God truly generous? Can he be trusted? And then down in verses 4 and 5, the serpent's venom continues to go at work as it begins to deteriorate uh, Adam and Eve's trust in God's motives. He's poisoning their trust that when God gives a command, he gives it for our good. The serpent says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, don't trust God. He's not giving you these commands for your good. No, no, he's giving them to control you, to restrict you. Throw off these rules and you will be truly free, the serpent is saying. Prince, can you see 
how this serpent is making a direct assault on the relationship between humanity and God? Trust is the heart of every relationship. If you don't have trust, you cannot have a relationship. If you've got trust, you can have a relationship. Well, that venom of distrust was injected into the bloodstream of humanity. And then from that point forward, the default position of the human heart has become this. God cannot be trusted. If he exists at all, he is self-absorbed and selfish. His laws are restrictive and cruel. His blessings can only be forcefully wrenched from his hands his miserly hands by a long list of good deeds. That's the only way to get God to give something to you. True freedom can only be found by throwing off his tyrannical commands. As one preacher put it, this is the lie that has entered into the bloodstream of the human race. We cannot trust God. And so, with that venom of distrust now coursing through Adam and Eve's veins, Eve reaches out to take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she tastes it and she gives it to Adam, who also eats. And in that moment, the venom of the serpent begins to poison every relationship. All of those classic forms of conflict that you learned about in your freshman English class. Man versus man. Man versus God. Man versus himself. Man versus nature. All of those conflicts begin to arise out of this one act of disobedience. In verse 7, we're told that the eyes of both were open and that they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. In other words, For the very first time, Adam and Eve experience shame. Man versus himself. And then God, uh, um, they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And for the very first time, they hide. Man versus God. And then God asks one of the most haunting questions in all of Holy Scripture. If I were ever to write a book, I'd write a book, what are the haunting questions of Holy Scripture? And this would be at the top of it. God says to them, where are you? Where are you, Adam? The bond of trust that, that once bound us together in love has been broken. Where are you, Adam? And with that one haunting question, which exposes Adam and Eve's disobedience, the relationship between Adam and Eve now begins to unravel. Adam gets the ball rolling on the old blame game. We love to play that game, don't we? The blame game. And Adam begins to blame not just Eve, but God himself. He says, the woman that you gave to to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Man versus man. Now, I don't have time to unpack this one point, but it does need to be said here that while both Adam and Eve are equally culpable for this act of disobedience, if one of the two is to be particularly to blame for the fall, both the context of Genesis chapter 2 and the witness of the New Testament testify that it's not Eve, it's Adam. By his act of disobedience, everything is poisoned. Friends, why is the world the way that it is? 
Why do many of us here this very morning carry with us a burden of self-hatred and shame? Why are there shootings in North Charleston? Why are Israel and Palestine in a never-ending conflict with each other? Yes, of course, we could give specific answers to all of those questions, but the big answer, the all-encompassing answer for why the world is the way that it is, is this. Because the relationship between God Almighty and all of humanity has been broken. And nothing but the healing of that relationship will set your life right again. And indeed, the world itself. This is why the world is the way that it is. The one relationship that brings abundant life has been broken. And if this were the end of the story, it would be a terrible tragedy. But it's not the end of the story. For in this very same chapter, God in His love and mercy makes both promise and provision for His people. So let's press on. With a trust between God and humanity now broken, with Adam and Eve having taken and eaten of the fruit, God begins to pronounce the consequences of this broken relationship of trust in verse 14. He curses the serpent for his role in poisoning the relationship between God and his people. But even within that curse, God pronounces a glorious promise. Listen, as I read to you verse 15, I'm going to read it to you from the New International Version, but listen to what it has to say. God says, I will put enmity between you, that is the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. Friends, this is a glorious promise about what God is going to do about our problem. It's the foretelling of the good news. Who will crush the head of that serpent who by his spiritual venom poisoned the relationship of trust between humanity and God and thus brought death into the world? Who will crush the head of that same serpent which Adam failed to keep out of the garden as God's appointed gardener? Who will put an end to death itself and restore that relationship between humanity and God? My friends, the man promised in these words, in here in verse 15, is none other than the Son of God Himself, Jesus the Messiah, who by His death on the cross crushed the head of the serpent and destroyed death for all who believe. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The serpent had poisoned Adam and Eve so that they lost their trust in God's generosity. They thought God to be a miser. But God, in response, poured out his loving generosity when he sent his own son to die for us. The serpent had poisoned Adam and Eve so that they lost their trust in the goodness of God's loving commands. But God, in response, sent His own Son to fulfill that command. If you eat of it, you will die by dying in our stead. 
Friends, even while God is pronouncing the curse on the serpent, he's making a promise for his future provision. Jesus Christ died so that the relationship between humanity and God, between you and God, could be restored. Christ died to crush the venom of the serpent so that you might know that God is trustworthy. You can trust both his generosity and the goodness of his commands. Those of you who enjoy our service of lessons and carols each and every year, one of the things that you may have noticed is that we read this same passage, Genesis chapter 3, year after year after year. We read it at every service of lessons and carols. Why? Because it reminds us. It reminds us that even in the moment of our disobedience, God was making provision to save us. Jesus was not some afterthought of God. It was his loving plan from the beginning. Genesis 3.15 is the first preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. My friends, this is the God that we worship. A God who can be trusted. A God of unimaginable generosity. A God whose commands are given for our good. So I ask you today, where are you in this relationship? Is yours a relationship of trust? Or are you still holding God at arm's length? Is the venom of the serpent still coursing in your veins, a venom of cynicism and doubt? Are you listening to all those voices out there who, to this very day, echo the words of the serpent and say that God cannot be trusted, that he's miserly and that he's slow to bless, that his commands are restrictive and cruel, that the only way to freedom is to throw off his rule and reign? Or friends, are you walking in the light of the cross? The cross God's most clear statement to the world. I am a God of mercy. I am a God of generosity. I am a God of forgiveness. I am a God of love. I am a God of profound grace, even in the moment of your disobedience. And I have given the blood of my Son that you might come back into relationship with me. Friends, the God of the Bible is a God of immeasurable mercy and grace. He is a God whose commands can be trusted. He is a God who sent his son to crush the head of the serpent at great cost to himself. May you this very day trust him with all your heart. And enter into that blessed relationship that he intended for you all along. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. May the good news of that promise settle on you today. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and acknowledge that even now, the venom of the serpent, the venom of doubt and cynicism, 
can course in our veins. And so we ask, we pray, that by the gift of your Holy Spirit, this venom would be cleansed from our hearts. Lord, that we might walk from this place in the light of the cross, in the light of the blood that was shed for us to cover our shame and our guilt. Lord, that we might walk from this place in relationship with you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.